The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We are so glad to have each and every one of you today as we start a mini-series in the middle of the summer simply entitled Greater Than. And we're going to look at some of the things that God is greater than over the next several weeks. And so I'm excited to have each and every one of you here for the kickoff of this mini-series and uh, just glad to have you in the house of the Lord. Now, I realize it's hot outside, so let me just commend you for kind of braving some of the heat uh, to be in church today. I know we still have folks on vacation, traveling, so let's be praying for them and uh, looking forward just to kind of diving into God's Word, and uh, hopefully this will be a help and encouragement. I will say this, uh, this particular series doesn't build on itself. Uh, I know a lot of times as we're going through a book of the Bible or if we're studying a particular doctrine in scriptures, each sermon kind of builds. Uh, This particular series will kind of be individual messages uh, that really just speak to the reality that God is greater. And I hope by the time we're done with this series that your spirit would be encouraged, that your heart would be lifted up by the reality that God is so much bigger than many of the things that we allow to occupy major amounts of our attention and focus. And so today we're going to start this series with a message simply entitled, uh, His Presence is Greater Than My Problems. His Presence is Greater Than My Problems. And so in order to kind of work our way through this theme, we're going to be in Psalm chapter number 46. And today will be a Bible study. We're just going to go through this entire psalm. Uh, We're going to read it together, and then I'll take some time just to explain it here uh, throughout the message. And I hope by the time we are done that your heart will just be stirred by the reality that, man, God's presence is greater than any problem, uh, any pain, or any difficulty that we might find ourselves in here today. Well, inside your service program that you should have received on your way in today, uh, there's a little Bible study guide that you can use. I hope it'll be a help to you as we study here Psalms 46. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our passage this morning, Psalm chapter number 46. Uh, We'll read all 11 verses here today, and uh, let's, let's do this. We don't maybe normally do this. Uh, why don't we read in unison every other verse? So I'll read verse 1. Why don't you join me in reading verse 2? I'll read verse 3. If you need the words, they'll be up on the screen here, and uh, we'll do the best we can uh, with doing that today, all right? This will be fun, and uh, today is a a day for some new things, so why don't we try this, all right? Here's what the Bible says, Psalms 46. I'll read verse 1. You join me in verse 2. The Bible says in Psalms 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, in trouble. Join me in verse 2. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I'll read verse 3. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. Verse 4. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. 
He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you this morning, we're asking that the posture of our heart would lean in to your word, that your spirit would enlighten us to what your word has to say, and I pray that it would not be a personality or a cliche, but rather the very words of God to encourage, to inspire, to motivate us into a greater love of you. And Lord, I pray that when we're done today, that whatever the problem that we might be going through individually, whatever situation we're up against, Lord, that our heart, Lord, would, would be able to proclaim that your presence is greater. And that regardless of what we're up against, that as we abide in your presence, Lord, we can see victory for our soul over those things. I pray that you would bless your word, bless our time around it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as was said a moment ago, the theme for our message this morning is simply this. God's presence is greater than my problem. And we're going to take some time today to unpack from this chapter why that statement is true. That God's presence is greater than my problems. God's presence is greater than my pains. God's presence is greater than my difficulties. So if you're here today and you're going through some problems... Uh, maybe you're experiencing some problems in a relationship, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your family, with, with your children. I want to remind you today that your hope is the presence of God. If you're here today and maybe you're going through some material, financial problems, I know that can seem overbearing and overwhelming, but I want to encourage you with this reality as we're going to see in the scriptures that as we lean into the presence of God, we can experience full joy and peace in His presence. Why? Because God's presence is greater than my problem. Let's begin reading here as we make our way through the text. The Bible says in verse 1, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Notice verse 2, therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. The psalmist is going to use some poetic and symbolic language to help give words to what he's feeling inside. And so he's going to use these metaphors, though waters thereof roar and be troubled, verse 3, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river. The streams thereof shall make glad the city of God. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. I want to take a moment and just talk a little bit from these four verses about the difficulties. Here we see the psalmist using poetic and symbolic language to try to give a voice to what he's experiencing in his heart. Have you ever had a time in your life and you literally felt like you were going through so much, you were overwhelmed by so much, it was hard to even describe in words what it is you were going through? Like you, you, you literally didn't have words to communicate the anguish that you're experiencing in your heart. 
And so what the psalmist David does is he uses metaphor. He uses visual imagery from nature to, to really give a voice, to give language to just how he's feeling and how he's overwhelmed. And so here in these verses, I see three types of difficulties that he seeks to try to unpack using this verbal metaphor. I want you to see here in verse number two, he talks here the visual imagery in verse two, though the earth be removed. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. You could say here the earth. That, that, that's, that's symbolic for what we build our lives on. It's the foundation. And, and so he's literally saying here in verse number two. Though, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. Though the earth be removed. You could say it this way. It's like that which you build your life upon begins to shift. That's what he's saying. Though the earth be removed, that which you're building your life in, it's like, it's like you're going through an earthquake. Have you ever had a time in your life where, where you felt like maybe your, your life and everything that it was founded on, everything that you were building your life on, began to kind of shift? Have you ever had a moment where you felt like maybe the rug was pulled out from under you? You, you thought, hey, I can stand here and this is never going to move. I, I can plant here and, and this will never change. And, and you felt some solidarity. You, you felt some, some security knowing that, that this was solid. You ever, you ever been there? Maybe, maybe it was in your finances and, and you're, you find yourself, hey, I, I've got money in the bank. I've got a good 401k. And, and all of a sudden you thought, man, I'm good financially. Everything's, everything's safe. Everything's solid. And, and, and everything felt okay. And And yet all of a sudden, something happened. And that which you were building your life upon, that which was making you feel safe and and secure and, and, and stable, all of a sudden kind of began to move. It didn't feel quite as stable. It didn't feel quite as safe as it once did. Maybe, maybe it was your health. And maybe for years and years, you're, you're building your life on the fact that you've got good health. And the, and the job that you have, it, it's built on the fact that you have a certain level of physical health. And, and, and maybe the hobbies that you enjoy, those hobbies are based on the fact that you have a certain physical capacity because of your health. And literally, aspects of your life is, is built on that. And all of a sudden, the moment comes along, you get the call from the doctor, and this thing that you'd built portions of your life upon, that which you've built your life on, all of a sudden, it doesn't feel so stable anymore. The financial situation doesn't feel so, you know, secure anymore. Your health now is, is not what it once was, and so it feels like your, your life is kind of going through this earthquake, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying here, though the earth be removed, that which, that which your life's founded on, all of a sudden it feels shaky. It doesn't feel secure. It doesn't feel safe. Never been there before? But he doesn't stop there. He says, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, mountains stand as an emblem of those things which are unmovable. And maybe you feel like, even though you were going through some difficult situations, and maybe though in the peripheral elements of your life, there were some problems and there were some situations. Maybe for you, there were, there were certain things in your life that were like mountains. Like, like nothing can move that thing. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you never thought you would lose. A marriage 
that you thought would just go on forever. It was, like a, it was like a mountain in your life. It was an emblem of that which would never be carried away. And then all of a sudden, like David, that emblem of, of that which could never change, and all of a sudden, it's carried into the midst of the sea like it's nothing. Like that thing that stood as an emblem of, of unchanging kind of stability. And all of a sudden, it was there and it's gone. Maybe it's a job, and you really felt like you were secure in that job. Like, like you had the competencies, the boss liked you, and you never for a moment thought that that career could go away until it did. That mountain, that emblem of that thing in your life that you were, hey, no, regardless of whether you had situations or problems in the peripherals of your life, that marriage, you, it was an emblem of that which would never change. And, and that career was an emblem of that which would never change. And, and, and maybe it was a relationship with a child. And, and though other, you would have problems in different situations of your life, there are, there are certain areas and in, in, in your heart, the posture of your soul is that will never change. That's unmovable. That's, that is secure. That is there. And all of a sudden, one day you wake up. And it's literally like that mountain, that emblem, that thing that would never change, that thing would never go away. And all of a sudden, one day, it was like, it was just tossed to the side, like, like it was no big deal. And some of you have experienced that when one day, all of a sudden, you woke up and realized that that person that you thought you would spend the rest of your life with, all of a sudden now is communicating and wants nothing to do with you. You know that pain, that child that you, you brought in this world and, and you thought you'd always be so close and so connected. Now they want nothing to do with you. That parent that you so longed to hear affirmation from. That parent that you so longed to, to get encouragement from and they just want nothing to do with you. We, we all have areas in our life that are like those mountains, emblems of immobility, things that we feel like will never change. And then it just rocks our world to the core. When those things we thought would be there forever, one day are not. Notice the end of verse 3. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Notice that. The waters thereof roar and be troubled. Have you ever felt like you were literally drowning in troubled seas? Like, like you were in the middle of a storm. And no matter how hard you tried to keep your head above water like the next wave would come crashing down. And like as soon as, you, as soon as you get a breath, all of a sudden the next wave comes and, and smacks you down. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Have you ever felt like you're just overwhelmed and, and maybe you're overwhelmed by things from your past. Maybe it's, it's guilt that overwhelms you and it's regret that overwhelms you and it's remorse that overwhelms you and just about the time you think you're past your guilt and you're past your regrets and you're past your remorse, just about the time you got your head above water and you can take a breath, it seems like the next wave of regret, the next wave of guilt, the next wave of remorse comes pounding down on you again and it just keeps pounding and it keeps pounding and it keeps pounding. Do you see what the psalmist is trying to communicate here he's trying to say there are seasons and life hurts 
painful. Maybe not overwhelmed by things in your past, but maybe you're overwhelmed by things in your present. Stress. Overwhelmed with what you've got to do today. Overwhelmed by what needs to be done. That stress and that anxieties of, of just living life and you feel overwhelmed by it. Like, you go to work, you're like doing everything you can just to stay on top of things, and your inbox gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Your email list is more and more. The clients get more intense and more demanding, and it's like, I just can't keep my head above water. As soon as I think I'm ready to take a breath, the next wave of stress and anxieties and difficulties come pounding down. This is what, this is what the psalmist is describing. Maybe it's something in your future. You feel overwhelmed by, by future fears. You're concerned I wonder how we're going to make this thing work. You're overwhelmed by, by worries. And you literally feel like the psalmist, the waters are, are roaring in their trouble. The waves just keep smacking me down again and again. You see what the psalmist is trying to do? He's using metaphor. He's using visual imagery to try to put language to what his soul is experiencing. And though often you and I are not very good at putting beautiful, poetic language to the, to the cries of our heart and the cries of our soul, the reality is the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just uses metaphor and he uses this visual imagery to try to give emotion to others and communicate to others what he's feeling and what he's experiencing inside. And so when we speak these words, it resonates. Because we've all experienced these type of difficulties. Job chapter number 14 verse 1 speaks into this even more when it says, Man is born of a woman, is of a few days, and full of trouble. Job reminds us that Difficulties in life are going to happen. We are going to have seasons when it feels like the waves of life keep crashing down on us. We're all going to go through seasons when those mountains, those emblems of that which would never change in our life, and we're going to have situations and seasons where that thing that we, that we grab to, that thing that we look to to be our source of security, and all of, a thing, all of a sudden one day like it was nothing, that thing just got tossed to the side. The thing we thought would never change, that thing we thought that would never be moved, and we experience this full trouble. And this is what the psalmist is experiencing but he doesn't stop there. He says, not only, not only am I experiencing these, these difficult circumstances, and, and that's what he's describing here, all these, all these circumstances and situations that just keep changing and keep pounding and keep discouraging. But, but notice verse number six. He says, the heathen raged. <laughs> these are people just frustrated and upset and mad and angry. Have you ever gone through difficulties with other people? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody in this church 
And you're like, they're just, it just feels like they're raging. They're, just, they're upset and they're stressed out and they're frustrated. And, they're, and there's relational tension. People stirring up difficulties and making your life hard and making your life confusing and making your life frustrating. And, and the difficulties don't come from the situations of life and the, the difficulties don't come from the circumstances of life. They literally come from other people. And oftentimes it's, it's those people that you'd least expect it from. Like, like you understand if it's some stranger upset with you, you know, and cutting you off on a freeway and you don't know, that's one thing. But it's a whole other thing when it's somebody that claims to love you. Claims to care about you. And all of a sudden when you start, you start feeling tension with that person and, and you're feeling tension with a spouse... You're feeling tension with somebody you go to church with and you're feeling tension with a coworker that you thought you got along with and all of a sudden there's those, there's those people situations, those relational tensions and, and that's, what, that's what the psalmist is describing. He's saying life is full of trouble and sometimes those troubles are situational. Sometimes those troubles are circumstantial. But sometimes they're relationally oriented. It's sad that oftentimes the things that can hurt us the most are not the situations of life, but the people in our lives. It it can be crushing and discouraging. And we're like the psalmist, like, man, this is just so overwhelming. Then he doesn't even stop there. He He keeps going here. He says, the heathen raged. Notice this. The kingdoms were moved. The kingdoms. <laughs> that, uh, obviously, in this day and age, there's changing the moving of kingdoms, the transitioning, the changing of countries. We might describe it today as, as political you know, transition. How, how many of you, it doesn't take very long to watch CNN, to look on your Facebook news feed and realize the kingdom is moving. <laughs> how many of you have sensed that? The country's changing. Some of you who are maybe a little bit old, I want to be nice. <laughs> None of you are old. We're all just mature. But some of us, we never thought our country would be where it is today, 30, 35, 40 years ago. And some of you are shaking your head because you, you know what I'm talking about. Like if somebody would have come to your 27-year-old self and said, this is where the country's going to be at and this is, this is what's going to be going on, you'd be scratching your head like, what in the world? Man, what, what, what is going on? Like, why, why, does it, why, why, can't we, why can't we see this, like, come together? Why is there no peace? The kingdom is just being moved. Things changing, it's overwhelming politically, relationally, situationally. And that's the difficulties that the psalmist is trying to 
he's trying to articulate and he's using a lot of poetic visual imagery to try to say to those that he's writing to, hey, life is full of trouble. We're hurting. Some of you are hurting because of situations in your life and others of you are hurting because of people in your life and some of you are hurting because of the the political dynamic that exists in the world today and and there's a lot of reasons why we're full of trouble and there's a lot of reasons why we're overwhelmed and there's a lot of reasons why we're concerned and so here's what we're seeing uh, here in this, the Bible says in Psalms 102 verse 8, my enemies reproach me all the day. And they that are mad against me are, are sworn against me. He says, man, sometimes these people are out to get me. Politically, I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter number 3. That evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. I just want to say this because I hope it'll encourage you. But our hope is not the person we put in the White House. Our ultimate hope is the person that we put on the cross. That's not to say we shouldn't be good citizens, that we shouldn't engage, that we shouldn't do our part. But as we navigate the political landscape of the day and age in which we do live, we need to navigate it with a heart posture of dependence upon God. As we navigate and engage the situations in the political world in which we live, yes, we need to get involved. Yes, we need to engage. Yes, in fact, more and more in the day and age in which we live. But I will say this, let it not affect the posture of our heart. May we not be overrun with doubt, but as we navigate these things, let our heart be filled with faith because our hope is not in a politician. Our hope is in Jesus. That's where our trust lies. And so again and again and again, we need to remind ourselves that my hope is in Jesus. My trust is in the sovereignty of God. Because if you don't affirm that, if you don't remind yourself of that on a regular basis, you will become discouraged, you will become despondent, and you'll eventually get to a place where you're not in a position to engage the world in which we live in because you're going to be so defeated by it. So while we engage, oh, that we would do it in a way that recognizes God is still on the throne. Difficulties, that's, that's, what, that's what's being talked about here. Verses 2, verses 3, verses 4, verses 5, verses 6. The difficulties of life, situational difficulties, relational difficulties, political difficulties. These are the difficulties of life. And I'll say this, while we are busy trying to change our circumstances, because if you're like me, that's what you're trying to do. I got to change my situation and circumstances. I got to change the people in my life. I've got to change this. I've got to change that. I'll say this, while we are busy trying to change circumstances, God is busy using them to change us God wants to use the situational difficulties and the relational difficulties and even the political difficulties that you experience and he wants to use them to change you to grow you in greater dependence in greater faith in greater trust Upon him. So we see in these verses the difficulties. But let's keep reading. Notice verse number eight. 
Come, behold the work of the Lord, what desolations he had made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot of fire. Notice verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Pastor Erlbacher talked a little bit about this word know last week. It's not just theoretical. It's experiential. Be still and know that I am God. In verses number 8, verses number 9, and verse number 10, we're going to kind of see the remedy. Verses 1 through 6 kind of gave us the difficulties. It kind of gave us the, the problem. But now in verses 6, 7, and 8, the psalmist is going to point us toward the solution. He's going to point us here toward a remedy. Now, before I get into this, let me just remind you. The remedy to a situation is not in changing the situation. Now, this is really big. See, from a human perspective, we think the solution to any situation is to change that situation and make it different. Change that person, change that circumstance. But can I just remind you of something? The issue with trying to change your circumstances, let me, just, let me just throw this out here, is that every set of circumstances, everyone, comes with its own set of problems. Amen. You say, well, I'm having troubles in my marriage, you know, it's Jesus so this and he's just so that. And, and, and if our knee-jerk reaction is, I'm just going to get me a new spouse, Man, I, I hate to tell you this, but that, that new marriage is going to come with new problems. <laughs> and they might be different, <laughs> but there'll be problems none the same. You see, if we see our hope as changing a situation, then the moment that situation changes, we usher in a new situation that also ushers in a new set of problems. <laughs> There is no situation in this world that does not have trouble. So what happens with a lot of people is they spend their whole life aggravated and frustrated and full of anxiety because they think if I could just change my circumstances, if I could just change my situation and make it this situation, then my life would be better. And when they are able to do it, because sometimes you are through manipulation or through your influence or through this thing or that thing, sometimes you change your situation, but you still feel the same because the problems are still there. My mother was so wise. Some of you know my mom. And she would always remind me. She would say, in every season of life and in every situation of life, there is always a corresponding set of problems that go with it. You you never get rid of your problems, she would say. She says, you only exchange them for another set of problems. So if you are anchoring your hope for peace and tranquility, In a particular situation, can I say this? We live in a broken world. It's messed up. It is sin-ridden. 
and there is no set of circumstances or situations or relationships that are free from trouble. The goal of the believer is not to try to fix every one of our circumstances. The goal of the believer is to have a heart that is postured toward God in such a way that when we have problems and we deal with difficult situations, that we can navigate that in a way that glorifies God. Our hope is never going to be found in a different set of circumstances because eventually that other set of circumstances will usher in a new set of problems. And that will happen until we get to heaven. Praise God. You see, the day will come when every tear will be wiped away. And in that day, in that moment, we can be at peace. But as long as our heart is striving and struggling to try to find some perfect nirvana here on earth, your heart is always going to live in anguish. Because it doesn't, you can't do it. There will always be problems. Our focus needs to be, how does God's Spirit want us to navigate these problems? So we see here the remedy. What is the remedy? Notice verse number 8. What he says, come, come. Matthew 11, verse 28 says this, eleven twenty-eight: Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Any, anybody, are anybody here burdened? Burdened by some circumstances? Burdened by a relational conflict? Burdened by the political landscape? Is your heart heavy? Here's what Jesus says. Fix it! <laughs> no. He says, come. He says, you're going to run all over the place trying to fix everything. He says, that's my job to fix it. Your job is to come to my presence. To find rest for your soul. Not in a perfect situation. Not in a perfect relationship. Not in the political landscape being what you would prefer it to be. Your rest and peace is going to be found as you come and rest in his promise. Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, all you that are burdened, all of you that are overwhelmed, all of you that are downtrodden, all of you that are discouraged and despondent, come. And I will give you rest. Our rest is not found in a particular political climate. Our rest is not found in situations and circumstances going the way we desire. Rest is not found in every person in our life behaving just the way we want them to behave. Rest is found as you abide in the presence of God. As you daily go to Him and enjoy His presence through his word and through prayer and through, through meditating on his word, you spend time with him, you enjoy him, you embrace him, you experience him. And it's in his presence that you experience rest for your soul. 
This is why there are people whose situation is worse than yours, but when you look at them, they seem to have more rest. This is why. This is why there are people who watch the same news stations you watch, read the same political articles that you read, follow the same blog posts that you follow, and they're not as ah about it as you are. Oftentimes, it's because their confidence is in Christ. They're finding rest in their soul. It's not because they're oblivious. It's not, well, if they really knew what was going on in our country, then they would be, I'm not saying there's not a place for some social engagement with a heart that's heavy and hurts for the direction that our country's going in. But we should never cause us to lose hope because our hope is not in a country. Our hope is not in a political landscape. I I hate to remind you of this, but the church thrived in one of the worst political landscapes in the early church. Roman Empire, those early days, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time for Christians. I don't have time to give you a history lesson, but the political landscape wasn't that awesome. It was a great time for the church because those Christians did not place their hope in getting the political li- uh, climate to go a certain way. Their hope was in Jesus. And the salvation that he provided, it was in him, the remedy, come, come, he says, come. When he says come, he's saying be intentional about this thing. You can't come on accident. God's saying be intentional, create some margin in your life. One of the things that I fear about the church in the 21st century is we have crowded out God. We have so maxed out our schedules and maxed out our budgets and we've so filled up our lives with so many things smaller than Jesus that we couldn't come to him even if we wanted to. And it's not because our lives are filled up with bad things. They're filled up with a lot of good things that crowd out our ability to simply come and spend time at the feet of Jesus. You say, Pastor, are you saying I shouldn't work this much? Are you saying that I shouldn't have my kids involved in these activities? Are you saying that I shouldn't enjoy these hobbies? No, I'm saying have vacations, do those things. Just watch the posture of your heart because if all of a sudden your life is so filled that you now do not have the margin and space in your life to come and to simply abide and to enjoy and create and spend time just experiencing the goodness of God, you're too busy. And something's got to give. I don't say this to your shame. I say this for your joy. That your joy might be full because you look to a thousand things smaller than Jesus to give you a joy and it will not satisfy. And so I try to call you and I say, please, I want to encourage you to go to the one source that can fill your joy, that can fill your cup. And his name is Jesus. In his presence is fullness of joy. But your lives are so busy. And my life gets so busy. And I pack out my budget and I pack out my schedule. And I fill my life up with a a hundred things that are good. And not one of those things could a pastor show you from the Bible that is wrong. I, I can't do it. All I can say is you've crowded out God. And something has to be sacrificed. And it's probably not your family. And it's probably not your marriage. And it's probably not your church. But something has got to give so that you have the ability to come 
to abide and to experience the only place where you can find rest and peace and joy for your soul. How was your time with God this week? How much time did you have just to enjoy him? I'm not talking about getting some religious thing off your to-do list. I'm talking about how much time did you just enjoy your creator, the lover of your soul, the savior of your life? How much time did you have just to enjoy and fully experience him in a fresh and new ways? That's what I'm asking. So you're trying to guilt trip us? No, I'm calling you to this so that your joy might be full. Because this world has convinced us that fullness of joy is found in so many of these lesser things. And it's found in coming to him. Notice what he says in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Psalms chapter number 77 verse 11 says it this way. He, the psalmist says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember those wonders of old. You say, pastor, what do I do when I come into his presence? What do I do when I, I'm ushered into time with God? Let's, here's a good place to start. Just remember what he's done. We live in a culture that is so busy and so loud. We, as quickly as God does something, we forget about it. We forget how healthy he kept many of us over the last year. We forget how he provided for us, you know, six months ago when we didn't know quite sure how it was all going to work out. And as soon as he provides, we forget about it. And we forget about how good he's been to many of our children. And we forget about the fact that he's financially and materially taken care of us and blessed us so much above, beyond whatever we could even think or comprehend. And his blessings are new every morning his mercies are new every morning and his grace is thick and his love is deep and yet we don't remember it you say what do I do when I come to experience him just remember his works in your life you can even go beyond that remember his works of old the things he did before before you were alive remind yourself of what he did at creation when he literally spoke everything into existence let that reality cause your soul to awe at his majestic wonder we're 30 minutes away from places that people travel around the world to see to get a glimpse of god's handiwork it's in our backyard and yet how easily we forget how awesome our god is remember the works of the lord remember what he's done then what does he say? Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. He goes on to say, be still in verse 10 and know, not theoretical, but experiential, know that I am God. What is he saying here? Experience me fully. Know that I am God. Be still. Create margin. Be intentional about this thing. Create some space so that you can know and experience that he is God. Psalms 37 verse 7 says this, rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Don't be afraid because of the man who bringeth wicked devices here to pass. Man, we don't have to be afraid. We can rest fully in the Lord. You know, God doesn't always deliver us from the difficulties of life. Oftentimes, God says, I'm just going to walk through them with you. He says, I'm not going to give you I'm not going to give you deliverance from the problem. 
I'm going to give you my presence in the midst of the problem. And whether you realize it or not, that is the greatest gift that God could give us when we're going through a trial. <laughs> but if you're like me, you just want God to make it go away. <laughs> you want God to make the situation, the negative situations, the relational conflict, the political land. You just want God to make it go away. And God says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through this difficulty with you. I'm going to give you something better than making it go away. I'm going to give you my presence in the midst of it. And God says that's a better thing for you. Because your soul and your heart is strengthened when you have to walk through those difficult challenges in a marriage. And when you have to kind of wade through the relational complexities of this world, it's better for you that you go through them so he can use that situation and that relational conflict to strengthen your heart. And he says, it's better that I just give you my presence, my sense of peace, a sense of joy, a love for others that you don't naturally have. It's better that I give you those things and allow you to continue to go through your problem than to just make the problem go away completely. It's better for you so that your joy might be full. What do I do when I come into that presence? Come, behold his works, know that he is God, experience that he is God. And then we see here, notice verse number 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. We saw the difficulties in verses number 1 through 6. Verses 7 through 10, we began to see kind of the remedy. And then here in verse number 11, we, we see his promise. You see the promise there? He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. He says, if you'll come, I promise to be there. I'm with you. I'll go through the difficulty. I'll go through the hardship. I'll go through the trial. I will be with you. The reality is in the new dispensation, in this new covenant, like we talked about six months ago, we can't run from the presence of God. The question is, are you fully experiencing the presence that God has already made available to you? That's the question. Are you fully enjoying the presence that is already there? That's the real question. Because he says, I promise my presence to you. Regardless of the situation and the negative circumstances of life, regardless of the relational conflict, regardless of the political landscape, he says, I promise to walk through all of those things with you and to give you my presence. Hebrews 13 says, be content with such things as you have, for he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, you can be content with very little because in me you have everything you already need. That's what the promise of this verse is. He says, you can be content with little because you've got me. You have my presence and if you have my presence you have everything you need for life and godliness he says i am enough for you that's why he says you can be content not because you have everything not because things are going your way because he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you and his presence will always rest upon you so that anytime you choose as you surrender by faith your joy can be full 
You don't need a golf course. Praise God for a golf course. It's a wonderful blessing from God, but you don't need it for your joy to be full. You say, I like vacation. I love vacation. I enjoy two weeks of vacation, but we don't need vacation for our joy to be full because we have Jesus, and so it's not wrong to do these things. It's not wrong to have hobbies, but once we convince our heart that we need them for joy and for peace and excitement, that's when we can begin to get an idea that maybe some priority in our heart is mixed match because we've convinced ourselves that we need something else other than Jesus to have joy and to have peace in Jesus says you can be content even with little why because i'm there with you i'm not leaving you his presence keep reading in verse 11 the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob's notices is our refuge he says i'm going to give you my protection i'm going to give you i'm going to give you my presence i'm going to give you my protection second samuel chapter number 22 verses 3 the god of my rock and him will i trust he's my refuge He's who I run to. He's who I go to. He is my shield. My shield is not my wits. My shield is not my talents. My shield is not my financial portfolio. He is the horn of my salvation. He's my high tower. He's my refuge. He's my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who's worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Jesus, God is your great hope in this life. Praise God. He's your refuge. Our refuge is not in our ability to manipulate every circumstance and person in our lives to do and be and act just the way we want them to do, be, and act. That's not our great hope. Our great hope is we have the presence of Jesus. He's protecting us. He's our shield. He's our high tower. And anytime my soul is in distress, I can run and experience and enjoy him afresh and anew that moment and that day presence protection his power he says in verse number one he says it again god is my refuge but this time he adds in verse one and strength a very present help in trouble he says i'm your strength in fact in the new testament he'll go on to say that his strength is actually perfected in our weaknesses so in those moments where we're suffering from depression And in those moments where we feel weak, in those moments where we feel broke, his strength is perfected in those moments. We experience it in greater ways when things are not going the way that we would prefer. We we get a fresh understanding of how awesome God's strength really is because it's made perfect in weakness. So, based on all that is why I can say God's presence is greater than my problem. God may or may not choose to take away your problem. Now, he's sovereign, he's provident, and he can do that. But even if he doesn't, your joy can still be full because you can experience a fresh and anew, a fullness of his presence. God's presence is greater than any of my problems So here's the takeaway. The remedy, what is it? In a nutshell, if if you got one statement, what's the remedy? The remedy is the relationship. If you get nothing else, get that. You say, "I I don't feel joy. I don't feel peace. I feel turmoil. I feel frustrated. The remedy is the relationship. 
run to the presence of God and say, God, what is it that you are providing to me? What do you want to do in me, not around me? What do you want to do in me so how I perceive and how I experience this situation totally transforms? God, give me a miracle of perspective. Why? Because the remedy is the relationship. The relationship with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.